Safety first, right? That's why we have a mitzvah in this week's parasha, that when you have a flat roof, you have to build a guardrail, a marker around it. The question is, why does the Torah associate that specifically with a new house? Surely it's any house or any hazard. And why does the Torah speak about it? Ki hanoifel, the person sounds like he's already fallen. Surely this is preemptive and to protect the person from falling. We're going to see that this is a classic example of a part of Torah that you have to surrender a certain element of your intellect to be able to understand properly, get beyond what the human mind is able to grasp. We'll see that it has a lesson that is relevant in marriage as it has a lesson that is relevant to every single one of us living every single day trying to make this world a holy place. With regards to the mitzvah of this market guardrail around your flat roof, it says, Aleph, when you make a new house, then you have to put this guardrail around your roof. So that's the first thing we need to understand because it doesn't seem to make sense. Why does the Torah emphasize that it has to be a new house? Surely the halacha is not reserved only for a person who builds a new house. Surely it applies equally to a person, let's say, who buys an old house that never had a market around it. So the Sifri tries to explain it to mean, that from the time it becomes new to the person, to the user, that's when you have to make the market. In other words, that means that the obligation to make this guardrail begins not like, for example, a mezuzah, where you could live in the house already for a few days and only then, once you become a so-called permanent resident, are you required to put up a mezuzah. This is different. The Sifri says that Kisivne is telling us as soon as the house becomes livable, immediately you have to put up the guardrail, even if you're not living, living there yet. As soon as it becomes ready. So in spite of the fact that the Sifri has a good answer, the Rebbe says it doesn't fit very clearly with the language of the Pasuk. The Sifri basically emphasizes that the moment you, the individual, becomes the owner of this property, even before you live in it, you're required to put up a marker, which is great, and that makes sense. But the wording of the Pasuk doesn't sound like that. Why then did the Torah speak about it that when you build a new house, which gave the impression that a marker is only required if the house is new. Why? Why didn't the Torah use language that would have implied much more clearly that it's any kind of house, as soon as it becomes yours, you're now required to put up the guardrails? So that's question number one. Why does the Torah seem to emphasize the nature of the new house rather than the responsibility of the new owner? Question number two, base. A little bit further, the pastor continues to say, why do you need this guardrail? Lest somebody who's going to fall, or more correctly, it's in present tense, lest the one who falls, fall off that roof. That also doesn't make sense. Isn't the entire purpose of the guardrail to prevent somebody from falling? So the instruction is before the person falls. 
So why over here is the Pasuk already calling him Noifel, somebody who is in the process of falling? That seems illogical. The whole purpose of this guardrail is so there should be nobody falling. So the Gemara famously explains that actually this individual who's going to fall off the roof, that's predestined from the beginning of time. It's just that Hashem orchestrates things in such a way that good things come through the hands of people who merit, and God forbid bad things come through people who deserve that a bad thing should happen through them. So in other words, this person is noifel, destined to fall. You have to put up the marker so that it doesn't land up being via your roof. Rashi actually quotes this in his explanation. Still, this does not seem to fit at a pshat level with the language. Because the word noifel, which is used in the Pasuk, doesn't imply somebody who deserves to fall. It implies something that's currently happening. He is falling. It's a present tense word. And not only that, it's actually an adjective. It's a description of the person. He is falling. So it still doesn't seem logical. Logically, you put up the marker, not that the one who's falling shouldn't fall. So in order to understand all of this, the Rebbe is going to quote a commentary from Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer, which explains, generally speaking, how Hashem always created the world with an element of mystery to it, which keeps us humble and also helps us to appreciate that there's more to the world than what we can grasp with the human mind. Pirkei de Rabbi Eliezer says, the reason that Hashem created the world in this particular way, that the northern point of the world is not complete. Effectively, what it says is that the sun goes from east to west, and then at certain times it moves southward, which is effectively in the winter. But it never moves further northward. This is a perspective from the northern hemisphere. So it implies that the, the northern part of the world is kind of open. It's, it's not bounded by the track of the sun. Kemaimer, like the expression goes, the Gemara tells us that the world is compared to like a, a porch, where the one side is not closed off. In this case, the northern side is not closed off. Says Why did Hashem create the world that way, where there's like an element of the world that's kind of unfinished or undefined, open, open-ended? So the reason, says Pirkei is in case anybody comes along and claims that he is a deity, We'll answer him in Hashem's voice. You know what? You go close off the top part of the world and then we'll know that you're already a deity. In other words, if you can control the world in a way that hasn't yet been designed, then we know that you have godlike powers. Now, what does it really mean? What are we worried? Somebody's going to come along and claim that they're a god. We're going to go tell them, close off the northern hemisphere. What, what exactly does it mean? The intention of these words, this concept is, The message is, in case human beings make the mistaken conclusion that they don't need a God, that they're good, they're self-sufficient, they're scientifically minded, they've built technology, they have created great economic structures, they don't need God. They don't need something beyond themselves. 
The COVID pandemic would be a great example of that. There are certain things we cannot control. With all of our wisdom and all of our technology and all of, all of our ad- ad- advancements, we still need Hashem to help us. So that's generally in life. And more specifically, it applies more specifically to the concept, the principle of intellect, which of course is the part that human beings mostly pride themselves in. So we want to ensure that a human being should never mis- mislead himself into believing that he can understand everything with his own seichel. Therefore, So Hashem built into us the fact that there will always be things that require a leap beyond the intellectual. We're intelligent beings. We pride ourselves in our intelligence. We use our intelligence, but we always have to be humble enough to acknowledge that certain things are beyond our intelligence. Ledugma, great example of this, by the way, is that in order to understand any intellectual principle in the first place, there are certain axioms that you have to accept. You have to accept them in, in order to use intellect. Meaning, you can't use intellect to establish the axioms. You have to accept the axioms in order to motivate intellect. Because only once you have certain intellectual axioms in place, then you can go through an intellectual process and know when you've arrived at a correct answer. But the irony is that those fundamental principles, what we call muscolus are shown as primary thought processes or primary, primary accepted notions about reality, those are not necessarily things that require intellect. Intellect requires them. So basically, what do we find? We find that the nature of, of people is that when you analyze your seichel, you realize seichel is lacking. And seichel itself requires things that are super rational. It's a fascinating concept. We don't think about it. We would take it for granted. If you want to work out the concept of mathematics, you have to accept certain axioms, whether you understand them or not. And so on and so forth. It applies to really every area of intellect. Now, our primary focus over here is not to talk about intellect generally. We want to see how it applies in Judaism, specifically in learning Torah. So, if that is true of any intellect, it's certainly true of Torah. One element of Torah, the revealed part of Torah, entered this world in such a way that it can be captured, appreciated, and understood by the human mind, even a non-Jewish human mind. It's not exclusive to Jews. Any person can understand the logic of Torah. But what does Hashem want us to remember at all times? That Torah is not ordinary intellect. It is divine intellect. Therefore, Therefore, Hashem established certain things within the so-called accessible revealed part of Torah. Hashem designed them in such a way 
שלא יהיה ניתן להלווינם לתכליסם, אלא על ידי לימוד עניינים אלו כפי שנסבור בפנים יסתרו. Certain aspects of נגלת התורה will never be clear, they'll never be understood until you probe beyond the intellectual into the spiritual פנים יסתרו. In other words, there are certain parts of Judaism that you cannot understand without Hasidus. Why? Because that reminds us that Torah is not simply an intellectual pursuit. It's something way beyond the mind. It is divine wisdom. These unique subjects will remind us generally about Torah. That Torah is only in, invested in human intellect, but not limited to human intellect. And therefore, in, in essence, the Torah is really divine wisdom that is fundamentally beyond the scope of the human mind. So those unique cases where we are forced to acknowledge that it's beyond what the human mind can understand, they reflect on the rest of Torah. So we should always be conscious that every part of Torah is fundamentally beyond human intellect. So therefore, Now we can suggest that this Pasuk about Make, firstly the question why it's by Ischadosh, secondly the issue of in Han Neufel in the present tense, this is one of those examples, you can only understand this whole mitzvah and the specific language of the Torah based on Pneumius Torah. And this will remind us that every other area of Torah needs to be addressed the same way. Once we understand the primius, the deeper meaning of this mitzvah, we'll understand why it is specifically related to a new house. Because the newness of this house is a pivotal issue with regards to what? To the mitzvah of Maike, according to the primius deeper meaning. And that will also help us to understand this expression of the falling person who will fall. Why even before the incident has occurred and even before the man has fallen off the roof, he is already defined as someone falling. Why? So let's look at the deeper meaning. We'll start off with a, a more accessible area of life, human experience that we can all relate to, marriage, and then we'll extrapolate it out to the general experience of a person's spiritual journey. Amr Chazal, we know that the Gemara tells us, we know this from Yom Kippur, when the Kohen Gadol, that he has to atone for himself and his household, says the Gemara, right, that basically here refers to his, his wife, and that's why the Gemara Yuma tells us the Kohen Gadol has to be married in order to do the service on Yom Kippur. Not only that, but at Shomer Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi goes further than that. And he says, He says, I never referred to my wife simply as my wife. I always referred to her as my home. The entire household is the wife. So now we can understand this bias Chodosh. This is the deeper spiritual meaning behind when you build a new house. It's referring, besides the literal explanation, it's also referring to when a person establishes a new home, meaning it's the beginning of a marriage. It's the time where the person takes the millstone on his shoulders, meaning to say the huge responsibility of providing for a family and not only in, uh, financially providing, but in all the different ways that he has to look after his family. 
But specifically, most specifically, this is the stage of life where a person takes on the financial burden of a family, and he has to do what in those days was agricultural, plowing and, and planting, and today is to go out to work in the classical sense. It's to that person that the Torah gives this warning. You're building a new home? Make a guardrail. Seeing as it is a new house, meaning Seeing as this is a new order of life, a new kind of avoider, which you're not yet used to. Therefore, you better make a protection for yourself. Safety first. You're going into uncharted waters in your experience. You need to guard yourself that you remain on the straight and narrow. Whatever caution a person had to be able to serve Hashem properly up until that point is not going to be sufficient to carry them into this new life. But rather this new groom has to undertake new steps to protect the integrity of his Yiddishkeit. To take new steps, new um, precautions to protect thought, speech, and action. So you're making a bias, chadash, new life, new marriage. This is a time for a make, new buffers, new protection to keep yourself spiritually wholesome. Ah, you'll ask, why Dafka now? Why Dafka in this new chapter of Avoidah? There are various new chapters of Avoidah in a person's life. Why this specific one? Bias, Chodosh, marriage. Now you have to be so cautious to put up all these spiritual protections and barriers. So to answer that, the, the Pasuk says, because you are in a state of falling now, and therefore we don't want you to fall further. Meaning, Classically, the move into marriage is a spiritual step down from whatever the person was doing prior to marriage. Because engaging in the physicality of earning a living and running a home and all of those responsibilities is a personal version of what it's like for an Ashama to enter this world. You're now entering the world. You're getting into the mess of whatever physical life requires. Prior to this, you were sitting in a yeshiva. You were aloof. You were protected. You were in some kind of a spiritual quarantine. Therefore, there is a fear that all of this gashmis involvement could drag a person down. So the person is noifel. They're in a state of descent. And there's a concern that they could get sucked even further down. Therefore, if this person is not going to be super vigilant at the time of building this new home, without that caution, not only will the person not succeed in lifting and elevating the Gashmistical world to become more connected to Hashem and to become more spiritual, in fact, the country, the person is already in a downward trajectory. So now we're concerned that the Gashmas of this world will accelerate the downward motion. And Yipol Anoifel, the person is already in a state of Noifel, can Yipol can fall even further. So what is Ba'is Chadash Yonim, the new stage of marriage? That's where a person needs special protection not to get too materialistic. Let's take it a, a, a level deeper and a level broader. 
bias there are also times that bias the home is a metaphor to represent the human body in terms of serving Hashem, the concept of working, so to speak, in the house or building the house is the concept of taking the physicality of this world, extracting out of it its spiritual meaning, discarding the rest, and elevating the spirituality back to its source. Where the goal is for a person to refine his or her own body and the world around them. There are two reasons why this is also called a new house. The first reason it's new is because, frankly, the Neshama up in Shemaim had no concept of engaging the world and extracting out the spiritual potential and elevating it. But also a deeper reason is The truth is that this Avoida of Avoida Sabirurim, engaging the physical world and elevating it, makes the real Chidosh, in other words, creates something that is exciting, innovative, different, revolutionary. If in Shemayim everything is connected to Hashem, it's not such a surprise. But if here on earth we're able to connect everything to Elikus, that is a Chiddush, that's wild, that's a huge revolution. Therefore it's called Bayis Chadash. It's an avoider that is not only new to the Neshama, but creates something that is new in the entire context of creation. This kind of concept is reflected in how we describe just the, the, the creation of our physical world. Even though there are all kinds of different levels within the shtalshulos, within the spiritual hierarchy, the evolutionary concepts, and all of them are mishavos, each one of them is new compared to where it came from. So in other words, klolos for example, after Hashem initiated a symptom and completely removed himself, whatever that means, from visibility, from our capacity to be able to identify Hashem, then Hashem generates a new oil, a new light. We say, ah, Ischachos, that's something revolutionary. It was never there before. He has a limited, finite degree of divine energy up until this point in time. Everything about Hashem is completely ain safe. Now you have an oil that is finite. Wow, that is new. Or Ak, next level, Ak Adam Kadmoi Nikra Adam Debriye Yeshme Ayin. Adam Kadmoi, which is the most supernal level of all the spiritual hierarchies, which is obviously the result of this newly generated Oyer Hakav, this newly generated divine light, is still called Adam in a concept of Bria. Bria always means Yeshme Ayin, something that was never there before. And then when we talk in the realm of Atsilus, which is already a, a tier or a few tiers lower, the Kalim, meaning the defined realities of Atsilus that allow us to identify like Chokhmah and Chesed, etc., those are also like new. Wow, there's such a thing as a defined reality in Atsilus. And of course, when you get to the world of Bria, which is true Yeshme'ayin, where things actually begin to take on some kind of an element of independence. The point being, at every step of the spiritual hierarchy, there's always a newness. There's like, wow, compared to where we've come from, this is a surprise. So generally speaking, there is Chidush, there's the concept of innovation right throughout the whole creative process at every spiritual level, because each spiritual level is something new and surprising that we would never have identified in the previous spiritual level. 
in spite of all of that, the real revolution, the greatest surprise is the fact that there's a physical world. As the expression goes that we use in Hasidus, that the idea of creating physical out of spiritual, there is no greater version of Yeshmi Ayn, something coming from nothing. The principle of a physical item emerging out of the spiritual is totally irrational. It's completely surprising. It's the greatest revolution. So yes, there are many revolutionary steps in the process of the different spiritual levels. None comes close to the huge innovation of a physical world. That's why we call it bias. Chodosh. This is where the real Chodosh happens. And most importantly, not just the fact that, wow, look what Hashem did. He created a physical world and nobody saw that coming. But more importantly than that is the avoider of what you can achieve in that physical world and with those physical things. Because if you think about it quite logically, any physical item, regardless of how powerful, sophisticated, advanced it might be, is nothing compared to the smallest spiritual concept. Nothing. Because physical is just so finite and spiritual things are just so flexible and so sophisticated and so complex. So there's no question that from the physical realm to the spiritual realm is an, a, a, an impossible leap. Nevertheless, Nimzo, Nevertheless, and Dafka, because of that, to take physical things and elevate those physical things that they should now have a spiritual value is a huge, huge surprise. Huge revolution. Major Chiddush. So where does the real stuff of the world happen? Where does the real excitement of creation occur? Here in this world. Yes, there's lots of Chiddush all the way down. But this Chiddush, to take something puny like a physical item and transform it into something that is Elekus, that is Ruchni, wow! Nobody sees that coming. That's why this particular way of serving Hashem is alluded to in the Pasuk as building a new house. Because the goal of this particular avoider is to completely recalibrate and redefine the physical body called the bias, which in turn builds a new and surprising and magnificent home for Hashem in this world, which of course is the purpose of the whole of creation. So now what have we described so far? Bayis Chodash, that here is an avoider where everything about this avoider is new. The realm where it occurs is Chidush, wow, Gashmis. The effect of taking Gashmis and turning it into Ruchnis is even bigger Chidush. Everything is happening in the realm of Chidush. There's also a tremendous Chidush that occurs for the person doing this avoider, facilitating this tremendous revolution. There are many, many ways that a person can and must serve Hashem. And all of these other paths of serving Hashem shift a person in a relative sense. So a person learns Torah, so they grow in relative steps. More and more knowledge, more insight, more wisdom. 
If a person had to do any other spiritual service of Hashem, it's going to shift the person in a, an expected way. But when a human being, when a Jewish person engages in this avoida, which is this, what? You're taking Gashmias and you're turning it into Ruchnias? That catapults that person in an upliftment that is unexpected. That catapults the person to levels and experiences of connection to Hashem that are totally off the charts. Not only do we now impact the world in such an incredible way, not only do we impact the person, the practitioner, in such an incredible way, but the most amazing insight is that every single time we engage the physical world and use it as a way to bring about Hashem's purpose for creation, we impact the spiritual world also and in a revolutionary way. Our avoida creates a chiddush, something new, in the highest spiritual realms that wasn't there, so to speak. Maybe a way to illustrate this is what the Gemara tells us, that everything is in Hashem's hands, in the hands of heaven, orchestrated from on high, except for our choices around Yerushalayim. Or it's the very powerful statement in the Medrash Rabbah, that when we do mitzvahs, we actually add strength to Hashem, so to speak. It would be shocking if it wasn't from such a, ter- a Torah source. How do we do this? How do we create this massive spiritual revolution? Through that avoider that we follow through to make this lowest realm a place that can accommodate Hashem in the most comfortable way, like his own, so to speak, home, then the earth itself becomes like a beautiful home, just like a beautiful home expands the mind of the homeowner. You come into your house, you feel, oh, I'm a chaya. You feel you can think better, you relax, you see the world from a better place. We achieve, so to speak, the same thing for Hashem. We make the home here in this world, Hashem's home, into a beautiful place, kind of expands, if we dare to say such a thing about Hashem, it expands Hashem's capacity, so to speak. Amazing concept. As long as you operate within the pre-existing hierarchy of spirituality, then there's always a limit on how much divine energy can be brought into this world. There'll be certain elements of divine energy that are calibrated to be able to enter the world and impact the world as the world is. There'll always be divine energy that is too great for the world and so will always remain beyond the world. And then there'll be even higher, loftier divine energy that is so great and so powerful that you can't even use the term saying it is greater than being related to our world because that's, that doesn't begin to describe it. In other words, there's only a little bit of divine energy according to the rules of the spiritual game that could ever be appreciated and experienced down here on earth. Whereas, when we do what we're supposed to do, we expand the possibilities. And now we allow for a not only do we now allow the possibility for access to the divine energy that's naturally beyond the world. 
But we now allow access to the divine energy that is beyond being described as being beyond the world. This is that even includes the highest, the loftiest, the original, pristine, infinite energy of Hashem that had to be kind of sidelined in order for Tzimtzum to happen, all that Nimshech Lamata can be drawn down into this world. You see what that means? Bayes Chodosh. We're building through our engagement with our own little physical space where we think we're just puny beings. And what's the difference if I do another mitzvah or if I use a little bit of this world in order to serve Hashem? We think, what does it affect? What does it affect? A radical change to the entire structure of spirituality that even allows that kind of godliness that was so powerful it had to be sidelined in order for creation to happen, to enter creation, and not just enter creation, but enter the physical world. That's our power, bias chadash, what we could achieve with a simple mitzvah. Except that in order to do this, there's a very important trait that a person has to include as well. Otherwise, we get in the way. We have to make sure we don't get in the way of all these wonderful things that Hashem wants to happen. The only way that any real change occurs, that any real revolution happens, is when there's an element of bittel, losing the original state. It's the butterfly coming out of the cocoon. It's the seed turning into a tree. Okay, as we know, it's explaining Kabbalah and Hasidus that in order for Neshamas to go through their various aliyahs to be elevated from level to level in the next world, world, that any time that the movement upward is going to be not relative, in other words, a, a, a um, quantum leap of spirituality, the only way that quantum leap happens is the original status has to break. The original status has to shatter. The seed in the ground has to break so that the tree can begin to grow. Only by breaking who you were do you become open to become someone else. As long as you're holding on to old thinking, holding on to old requirements, visions, expectations, you can never really grow. Like in Kabbalah, it explains these various kinds of things that an Hashem has to go through in order to shift from the lower experience of Gan Eden to the higher experience of Gan Eden. It's like a river of fire to burn off all your preconceptions because otherwise you cannot transcend. You cannot tra- transition into this new reality. You've got to go up this Amud, the so-called kind of pillar where there's this overwhelming sense of what's new and coming that is so blinding and so powerful that you just let go of who you were before. If a person is unable to let go of who they were before, they can never become somebody new. If a person cannot let go of the preconceptions of childhood, you can't mature into an adult. So that's why, how do you build this new house and keep it secure? You have to have the guardrail. The guardrail means, it means a person takes steps to accept certain spiritual buffers that the person creates in their service of Hashem, that when a person accepts that I have to take on, a person could say, but I'm, I'm moving forward in life. I'm actually achieving. You can feel good about yourself. Why should I now have to create new restrictions around myself? That's bitter. 
acceptance. That's Kabbalah's oil. That's taking Hashem's lead and saying, I'll defer to what Hashem wants. And that makes the person an appropriate conduit for this new home that has to be created. And that's why we can give now the deeper meaning to the second part of the Pasuk. We know that the second part of the Pasuk is, why do you have to make this makeh so that there's no bloodshed, God forbid, in your house when the falling person falls off the roof? It's not just a rationale why you have to have this security in your home. The truth is it's an independent instruction. Over and above the instruction, build a new house. And the instruction, make a make. There's another instruction. Like the Sifri tells us, making the guardrail is a positive mitzvah. And not allowing bloodshed in your home is an independent, separate, negative mitzvah. Why? Because creating these buffers, creating these spiritual precautions that every one of us has to take as we go out into the world, it's not just preventative so I don't land up in trouble. It's actually a critical part of the Chiddush, of the revolution. That acceptance, that willingness to do things that are difficult, to, to, to do things that I don't necessarily want to do, but I accept that that's what Hashem wants, that's a very important part of what propels me forward to this chiddush, to this great revolution of achieving what Hashem wants. That's what opens the possibility of me reaching this bias chadash, this new state, not only for me, but even for the higher realms as well. What does that mean practically? The practical take home is this. We know very well that a Jewish person dare not lock himself up away and have nothing to do with the world. Each of us is required to engage the world, transform the world, turn it into Hashem's home. Actually, it's only by allowing ourselves to fall into the physical space to engage the physical world that we can then afterwards rise properly. Because that's when you make the real change, not only to yourself, but to the entire spiritual hierarchy as well, as we've explained. So on one hand, I have to know, tackle the world. That's where the spiritual opportunity lies, in the physical world. On the one hand, but don't let it run away with you. Equally, a person has to also know that if you want to successfully turn the physical world into a conduit for holiness, for spirituality, you're going to have to have the necessary precautions. Which means you have to engage the world without becoming enmeshed in the physicality of the world. Yes, of course, you have to physically engage the world and all of its matters. But those things should not actually become meaningful to you. And you should always keep a little bit aloof. As we say, a tefach a little bit aloof. 
מפני שהוא יודע מרגש שכל היססקוס בעניינו אלום, היא רק דרשתם סכבונו, העליונה לאסס דיר לא יסבורך בסחטוינים. Because you're completely focused. Why am I engaged in the world? Not because I love those things, not because it means something in my life, but because this is how I achieve Hashem's purpose, to make a home for Him in this world. And this is a very relevant lesson for anybody who's about to get married or recently married. One thing is clear, we can see that there's a tremendous advantage and greatness to being married. It's one of the loftiest things that a Jewish person can ever achieve. To be married is not just a personal experience and a, an advancement of spirituality potentially for you. It's something that has an effect all the way to the highest realms. Because now you're stepping into a space where you can really get down to the business of making Hashem's home in this world. And as we've already said, this is something that has the potential to, to, so to speak, broaden Hashem's scope of how much divine energy is going to come into this world. Huge, beautiful moment in life. You become this massive contributor to Hashem's ultimate purpose. Yet, on the other hand, you have to be absolutely conscious. You have to know there's a way to build a Jewish home. Yes, you're going to do amazing things, but you'll only succeed if you have the healthy boundaries. That means as the couple marries, so they undertake new elements of protecting their spirituality, new concepts in their lives that will keep them on the, the focus path of what Hashem wants. When a chosen gets married, we're told he has all of his sins forgiven. So surely, the person will say, why now? Why do I need all these restrictions now? I'm in a good place. I've just been forgiven. I've just had the slate cleaned. Why now? All of the things that might have haunted me from my past are gone. Now I need extra help. That's exactly what the Torah wants to tell us. Exactly the contrary to what you would have thought. Not only do you have to be absolutely vigilant going forward to make sure, of course, you don't end up in the wrong places. Because as we've already mentioned, you're going into uncharted territory. You don't know what it's like to be married. You don't know what it's like to have to put food on the table. You don't know what it's like to carry these responsibilities. You don't know what it's like to be so engaged in the physical world. So therefore, you have to protect yourself going forward. But not only that, this market, this guardrail, all these precautionary new hachlotos that the person is going to take while getting married are also to protect you from old things that, who knows, they may resurface at some point and interfere with your growth. Because as we already said, we want the person at this point to move in a in an infinite sense, a radical change, a quantum leap. And therefore, ancient Bosa You may have done Teshuvah up until this point, but now we need an even greater Teshuvah because you're making an even greater move. 
Something that will be way beyond the what was in the past to enter this new house. So just like the seed that has to break completely and have bittel in order to be able to move forward and become the tree, the person also has to completely break who you were by this radical teshuva in order to move forward in this incredible way. And that fits directly into everything we've explained so far about the nature of the smake that keeps you just a little bit removed from the world. A person could argue, hey, the Torah is the one that instructs me now at this point in time to engage the world and take the burden of earning a living. How can you suggest now that now is the time I should be separate from the world? I have to engage the world. The Torah expects me. I have to be responsible. I have to provide for my family. So we tell the person, actually, things don't work exactly as you would have expected. The real goal of marriage is that they, the couple together should have the merit that the Shechina, the Divine Presence, is with them in their life. And when the two have in their life this godliness, this Shechina in their life, that brings together the ultimate husband and wife, Hashem and us. And there, there are also two facts, two steps. First of all, there's the concept of the marriage between Hashem and us, which means that we and Hashem become synthesized and harmonized to become one. And equally importantly, when a person betrothes a woman, at that moment she becomes forbidden to every other person on the planet. Meaning, in a similar vein, we as Hashem's bride now become, so to speak, blocked and separated from all of the physicality of this world. And the reason for that is because the entire experience of our engagement in this world is to be able to bring treasures back to our husband, right? Treasures back to Hashem. To fulfill and complete the intention, which is to build this world into Hashem's home. So what's the message? What's the practicality? What's the take-home? Yes, of course, we have a responsibility in this world. Yes, of course, our goal is to transform the world into a place of holiness. And to do that, we have to engage the physical. But in order to remain focused, and in order to ensure that that's actually what we do, it's equally important for us to keep that sense of separation from the world, that we don't become invested and we become the masters of the physical, not mastered by the physical.